This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 404. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode we are continuing our look at our 31 of October. The movies covered in many reviews on this episode will be selections 7 through 13. And uh, yeah, we'll see how we got on with those. An eclectic mix of movies for sure. Those reviews will be coming up after the first break. Before we get to that, let's catch up with where we are under the stairs. Another busy week coming your way, which started at the start on Monday with another Bazoween. That was um, Blood and Satan's Claw and Phantasm 3. Now, please note there is not a Bazoween episode dropping tomorrow. It will return to your schedules a week tomorrow when we do episode 4. And then episode 5, handily dropping on Monday the 31st. Yeah, a Monday and a Halloween finishing off with the buzz. How about that? It's kind of why we're taking that small one-week pause. You also got a Russian Roulette franchise retro episode looking at the Hannibal Lecter series. We did Silence of the Lambs this week. And um, as a little bonus, a little cherry on top of the Sunday, a special um, review of a screener that came in through Arrow Films for Two Witches with an interview with the director himself. That dropped yesterday. The reason it dropped yesterday is tomorrow, that being Monday, the 17th, the movie Two Witches will be released on all other VOD platforms currently available on the Arrow channel, but also as get a physical release as well that you can sink your teeth into, ladies and gents. So that dropped yesterday as a result of pushback our Arrow video assortment episode until next Sunday because, you know, we're doing two back-to-back Arrow episodes. As a result of all that switching around, this is why this movie, covering the 31 of October, 3 through, well, 7 through 13, has dropped here on this day. Tomorrow, you'll be getting an episode which will fill in the gap, which would have been a Bazoween episode. It's the, what we're calling it, the unknown year, I think is what we finally settled on. This new sub-series that myself and Dave Parker are doing. We're covering the seventh curse, and that'll be dropping into your feeds tomorrow. On the Teapots Collective, tonight, the night that this episode is dropping, that is Sunday the 16th, you will be getting a little bit of Chronicle. Myself and Darren Wilson sitting down and discussing Guillermo del Toro's masterclass, Pan's Labyrinth. That is you fully caught up, ladies and gents. That's how we do it under the stairs. So let's get into this, shall we? Are you excited? I know you are. On these episodes, you'll be getting a little running, a little audio clip setting us up for where we're going here. So, this is where I landed with movie number seven. voice come up inside me and say, your mother, she can't keep hidden from these demons. And then, and then we got chores we got to do. First and foremost of which, we got to spit shine this house from top to bottom. Take pride in ourselves where we lay our heads. That's it, right? The mother's the same thing for me. She ain't do no talking. But that angel, if that what it were, say he got a chore special for you. Say we need to take care of things around here first, and then you do what need be done then. Okay. 
And there you go, that was a clip for what Josiah saw. That was my movie number seven. This is how I kicked off my uh, my second run at the 31 of October. This is directed by Vincent Grishaw and based on the screenplay and story by Robert Allen Diltz. The movie stars Robert Patrick, Nick Stahl, Scott Hayes, Kelly Gardner, Tony Hale, Jake Weber, Ronnie, Gene Blevins, Troy Pills, uh, Lou, Lou, Luann Stevens, maybe, potentially, uh, Winston James Francis and some other folks are in here as well. Synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as a family with buried secrets reunite at a farmhouse after two decades to pay for their past sins. So this is on Shudder. It's exclusively available on Shudder, so that's where I was checking out, and that's where you can check it out. I really enjoyed this one. This one is a kind of southern gothic, kind of dark, almost kind of ghost movie-ish, kind of ghost movie-ish, and it's uh, kind of about the sins of the family, kind of... Uh, straining out over the decades and the impact that it has. It primarily centres around this kind of young... Well, I was going to say young. Uh, this man, who's maybe in his mid-twenties, coming up on his early thirties, that's young to me now as an older person, um, living with his dad, who is kind of almost piously evangelical in his beliefs. And this kid here is keep saying kid this adult young adult here is um he's kind of mentally i was gonna say mentally handicapped i don't think we ever truly go into he's a bit slow is what we would say um and kind of lives in the uh, not only in the shadow but the law of his dad and through kind of abstract images and reconstructed memories we find that the the mother of the family, the matriarch, died abruptly and there was a, a brother and sister twins who um, kind of disappeared from the household. Maybe something to do with the falling out with the father and there is a road being built and land being reclaimed and, you know, new properties going in and a kind of almost a gentrification of this kind of country area and land has to be purchased, including this house. So the family have to kind of reconvene here in order to, like, like piece out everything and, and work a, a kind of plan of action out. But the kind of guilt of what may or may not have happened in the past starts to spill over. This is a slow burn. There's no getting around that. This is one of these movies that takes its time for sure. It's two hours in length. It's meticulous. It's bleak. And it's powerfully acted. This might be one of my favourite Robert Patrick performances in quite some time. And then you have great kind of supporting performances, particularly Kelly Garner, Nick Stoll, who I've not seen in anything in ages, and Scott Hayes, who all deliver really, really, really powerful performances in there. It's very difficult to talk about the movie in any great level of detail which wouldn't give away the, the ending, which is kind of pivotal about the experience throughout, but it's incredibly well shot and the cinematography is jaw-droppingly good. Um, it's got great atmosphere, great pacing. Uh, so like I say, it's a slow-burn southern gothic horror movie and it delivers the goods. The ending is the right shade of blunt for someone like me, albeit I had seen some of it on the wall already. If you've seen enough horror movies, you kind of predict where it's going, but that didn't actually, it didn't, it didn't upset any opinion that I had of it by the end. A lot of Southern Gothic movies kind of all play in the same territory when it comes to their ends. It's how the story's constructed up until that point, and what Josiah saw does it all incredibly well. I thought this was absolutely fucking brilliant. I'm surprised that more people aren't really shouting out about this one. I would have I would have expected this one to be one of one of those movies that more people, because of the nature of its subgenre that it's in, would be would be speaking a bit higher of. It might just be that I'm so disconnected from the horror community that I haven't seen those people banging the gong. But yeah, what Josiah saw is one of the best I've seen thus far in my 31 of October, I'd give this a four and a half out of 
five. Definitely, definitely check it out if you've got that Shudder account. If you don't, um, you can get a couple of these free. Jump on, give it a check out, and then jump off. Couldn't be any easier than that. Right, let's turn our attention, ladies and gents, to movie number eight. Oh God, please, God. Oh, Mother, you never know how to be my name. What is it you pray for? What is it you pray for? All Asia. What did it feel like? A joyful note. Without change. Without end. Heaven. Okay, okay, let's get to it. So, Hellraiser 2022. Now, truth be told, this is not available in the UK. Still weird. Um, it's all over the internet, though, and I purposely did not succumb to piracy as much as I wanted to. Um, although, to be honest with you, the means in which I saw this movie isn't much better. Um, thank you very much to Anonymous Will Not Name You listener of this show that offered me a shot of their Hulu account via a VPN so I could check this out. You know who you are and um, this is like the third time you've hooked me up with one of these so um, and like I said I would never give out your name and I never will. Uh, yeah so Hellraiser 2022. I, I'm sure there's a more long form review that I will do of this movie somewhere down the track. But suffice to say, I enjoyed this one quite a lot. Do I think this is the best Hellraiser movie I've ever seen? No, definitely not. Do I think this is a massive return to form? Yet an extent, though. So, without giving away too much details here, I'll just, I'll give you some... <laughs> I'll give you some of the actual movie details and then we'll have a little chat about it. This is directed by David Bruckner. It's based on the screenplay by Ben Collins, Luke... Petrovsky and David S. Goyer. The movie stars uh, Odessia Azion, Jamie Clayton, Adam Fazon, Drew Starkey, Brandon Flynn, Ophelia Hins, Jason Lyles, uh, Yinka Ola Runathy, Selena Lowe, Zachary Hing, Kit Clark, Goran Viznich. Uh, Haim Abbas and some other folks are in here too. The synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as a take on Clive Barker's 1987 horror classic where a young woman struggling with addiction comes into a possession of an ancient puzzle box unaware that its purpose is to summon the Cenobites. Technically not true, it's not to summon the, the, the Cenobites. Right, well this movie gets well. Right, is the idea of not only expanding out the mythology of the Lament configuration, the actual box itself, and the puzzle aspect, which I really enjoyed. I like the new design Cenobites. I also like that this is a bit more Cenobite-centric um, without being like witty one-liners and all the stuff that actually made my eyes roll the further we got into the, the, the Hellraiser series. Um, what I also enjoyed was I thought the atmosphere and the acting is of a high calibre here across the board. I really disliked the central female character and you're not supposed to really like her. She is a kind of really nasty user piece of work. Um in quite a lot of respects, you know, like, she she's deeply unpleasant to a lot of people. By the end, I'm kind of rooting for her, but that's kind of by necessity. And I love the choice they made right at the end of this movie, which is very much against where a lot of modern Hollywood movies would go. I thought the gore was very well done. I thought, yes, they did a lot of kind of digital effects, but the digital effects didn't look bad, um, and the practical effects were also handled really well. Like I mentioned before, I think the new design Cenobites are cool, they're not goofy in the respects of, and I'm sure someone out there is going, well the mask one was pretty goofy, um, right, whatever, but I'm talking about when we just started like incorporating in part three things like video cameras and CDs, um, we don't have that level of kind of eye-rolling nausea, but instead we have things that look painful. Like the designs of the Cenobites look painful. And I think we forget that's supposed to be 
the thing. There's like behind this is a Clive Barker work which kind of reveled in pain and pleasure. And that kind of gets lost by about what part three, part four. We're just making these things and all of them just don't have any resemblance of that kind of pain pleasure element if anything what they look like is just pure punishment and I, I don't quite get that uh, there is a particular device um, on a particular person can't go into details because you may not have seen it which I thought was brutal to think of and like one of those things that was just a, a wickedly smart device that I instantly winced upon just hearing the noise so I thought that was really good downsides to this movie Tad Long um, I've, I've been saying this a lot this year um, if anyone heard my Terrifier 2 review that could have maybe got like that could have maybe just danced over into the I liked this movie like a 3 grade had they chopped about an hour off that movie and Hellraiser kind of feels like it's maybe about 25 minutes maybe I pushed 30 minutes too long this one clocks in at the two hour mark and I understand it's obviously it's dealing with a lot of the origin aspect and origin movies will be longer so we get a lot more to do with the actual Lamont configuration a lot more to do with what's going on there and that's going to pad things out but some of the pacing some of the scenes a little bit frustrating that being said again though I think it has a good once the box is open once we're moving forward things do move in a cool step the idea of the dimensional rifts are done really really cool and like i said before the idea of the actual configuration itself and the the different aspects of unlocking and its overall goal of what you get at the end is more defined than possibly any movie since the first also the expansion of what leviathan actually is is really fucking cool and i enjoyed that aspect so i think Here's the thing, right? If we're looking at the Hellraiser franchise, the first movie, it's, it's almost unimpeachable, right? The second movie, oh, like, just an incredible sequel. A th the third movie, we're starting to get a bit goofy here. The fourth movie, we're in space. The fifth movie, we're now just tagging Pinhead onto the end of stories, which is basically how you go towards the end. So this one actually felt like the first Hellraiser movie, like actual written Hellraiser movie, since part four? And then when I come down to it, there's no degree of of ridiculous camp like there is in part four. This one was dealt with a bit more seriously. So if I'm being honest, this is probably my favourite since part two. So I would probably go one, two, and then this one. Which surprised me because I, like, I genuinely expected to come in here with a, a, on paper, I should love this, but I don't. And like I say, it's not getting a five or anything like that. The the grade I would give this movie is he out and out four. I really liked it, but Hellraiser is such an awkward franchise to do. On paper, it shouldn't be a franchise. It should just be that standalone entry based on the Hellbound Heart. And this is their first swing back at the Hellbound Heart and them taking their own feel and push towards it. I know there's a lot of people out there that are really short-sighted about, well, it has to be Doug Bradley or it's not a Hellraiser movie. I got over that a while ago when I saw Doug Bradley appear in a few of those later-day Hellraiser movies, which were just trash. Um, so, all the goodwill in the world. It's the same reason that I'm not precious about the whole Robert England thing. Robert England wants to make another Friday movie. I don't care. Just make a, uh, another uh, Nightmare movie. Just make a good movie. And then I'll be happy. Just don't like it. A franchise does not lie on the shoulders of its villain's actor. It lies on how well the, the story's constructed together. And if all that's done right, you can cast out with the natural cry of the horror genre for the original actor. And it should succeed. If that's what your movie's pinned on, that's what all the weight's on, then, you you know, you've got, you've got issues for sure. Um, that's why Nightmare on Elm Street remake for me falls apart. The story's just fucking stupid. Um, and as a result of that, Jackie Errol Haley, as good as he is, and he is good in that role, he's lumbered with a bad movie. So it's always going to be a bad movie for me. And this one, I like the portrayal of, of Pinhead. It, it was it was very monotone. It was almost robotic, uh, robotic and it was cold. 
and that's how it should be. The kind of that's how the first movie is. Like all this, you know, all this kind of like oh no, oh, kind of fucking nonsense came later on when we had to give him one lines and turn him into Freddy. So I'm kind of glad they didn't go down that road. So yeah, I am hopeful. I would like to see more in this kind of universe of Hellraiser. Certainly there there appears to be other avenues they could go down if they wanted to. But if this is a standalone entry, this is one of the few occasions where I can say they've come out the gates with a very strong entry. Not topping the originals, um, but for the most part delivering something that I really enjoyed to see. That's really, like I say, I will be able to go more in depth with this one when we inevitably cover it somewhere down the road. If I can finally get Baz to go through the entire franchise, I'll get into more detail there. But yeah, as, as returning movies go, a bit long. And there's no getting around that. You know, it's going to be a slog to get back through again. But in that first viewing, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Four out of five for Hellraiser. Let's talk about movie number nine. It's not that small. Quite big, actually. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask you something? Hi. Oh, go ahead. Surgery is sex, isn't it? Is it? Mm. You know it is. Surgery is the new sex. Hmm. Does it have to be new sex? Yes. Yes, it's time. When I was watching Caprice cut into you, I wanted. And the next movie was Crimes of the Future. This is the return from David Cronenberg. First movie in almost a decade. The last one being Maps to the Stars. He's been primarily off doing weird and wonderful things, kind of shorts and a lot of acting appearances, including that horrible fucking season of Slashers. Season four is one of the worst things I've seen this year, honestly. Absolutely awful uh, but here he is returning to not only the director's chair but also returning to body horror which is the first time he's done this since what could we say the last one was existence which is like over 20 years ago now for him uh, so this is written by himself based on a script which apparently he wrote back in the late 90s and has been lying there for quite some time just festering by by all intents and purposes um the movie itself stars Viggo Mortensen, Leah Sedu, Christian Stewart, Scott Speedman, Lila Koronowitz, uh, Don McKellar, Nadia Litz, Tanya Beatty, Welkit Bunji um, and some other folks in here a synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. With his partner, Caprice, Saul Tenser, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metaphor metamorphosis of his organs into avant-garde performances. Uh, once again, don't want to go too far into spoiler territory, and I could spend a bit of time going deep into the weeds on this one, but initial thoughts, really enjoyed this one. I know this one has been not particularly well received by the horror community who were apparently expecting I don't know what they were expecting from by David Cronenberg and I'd also be curious to know when people fell off with Cronenberg because a lot of the complaints I appear to have read online made me think that they hadn't been really following any of his body horror stuff since maybe The Fly I don't know like they're just like it just seemed there was a lot of people out there that didn't watch Crash didn't watch Dead Ringers, maybe saw Existence, but never saw something like Naked Lunch. 
So I, I just it felt very off the wall. This, in a lot of respects, felt like a kind of a, a grand collection of Cronenberg ideas stemming back to the beginning of his career, all coming together, like almost as if each movie is a thread in the past being pulled forward. This is this is the the, the, the kind of this is the sweater at the end of it i don't know where i'm going with this but it, it all knits together all these kind of ideas and the themes in the past the the, the kind of degradation of flesh the evolution of of the the body um the indoctrination of technology um how our environment our experiences and ultimately how our art ourselves become that of the horror moving forward i mean there's it's no it's not a shallow allegory for i think how cronenberg feels himself as someone who is a creator putting something squishy and fleshy and of himself out to the public for either shock or, or derision it's certainly in there um, the design is really cool. I love this kind of neo-futuristic kind of waste area. And also like the premise of humans have just evolved so far that we don't get ill, we don't feel pain. But as a result of that, we've kind of lost what makes us human. And the idea that the rebels in this world would be those that would want to extend us back to the point of the next phase of evolution thus giving us the ability to maybe feel pain or maybe and there's also an environmental message which is really weird here about the uh, consummation of plastics um and our ability our body's ability to to digest as a way to to kind of forward us it's it's all very out there and it's all it's playing with a lot of ideas and maybe that's my only criticism with crimes of the future is i think it shoots a lot of ideas that it doesn't all pull back but does leave us in a world where there's hope weird hope at the end of this movie I mean, that's how i felt when it when the credits rolled was there's an optimistic hope for this like horrible future in a way that i didn't actually expect from cronenberg you don't often get that at the end of his films like existence doesn't end with the happiest crescendo a movie like crash didn't either neither did dead ringers videodrome certainly doesn't neither does scanners so you know like to to see something that ends on this kind of bittersweet and slightly positive optimistic note just made me think that maybe old age is finally making cronenberg a little bit softer at the end um, it's got full of squidgy body horror goodness, so all that's done really well. The effects are surprisingly good, and a lot of them practical. What couldn't be done practical and had to be done digital wasn't overdone to the point that I think it looked bad and or won't make sense in 10 years' time. Uh, in a lot of respects as well, it reminded me, and I don't mean this as a slight against it, a really expensive like episode of Lex. A TV show that I used to watch like years and years ago that I've been mentioning a lot recently because a lot's been reminding me of it. It just kind of reminded me a little bit of that, but in the best possible way. So yeah, I'd like if you weren't on board with some of the more esoterical and philosophical viewpoints of David Cronenberg, um, and you haven't been following his messages through his body horror, you just like the body horror, then chances are this movie fell a bit flat for you, but. I thought all of that held up surprisingly well and worked together and gave me plenty of food for thought. Once again, I think this is about 15 minutes too long, um, which also gives it a slight markdown, but I really enjoyed this one. This one would get a 4 out of 5 from me. I would definitely check it out again, and I believe Cronenberg is talking about his next project, and I want to see it. He's a, he's a fucking great director. Whether you like his movies or not, I think he's a great director, and you clearly see on the screen he hasn't missed a beat is is wonderfully shot and it's crazy out there you know it's like there are very few movies that do anything like this from the opening five minutes i was like oh we're we're back in cronenberg's brain a few directors can do that can you know helm that sort of vision on screen which is just so so associated with the man behind the camera so yeah four out of five for crimes of the future let's go on to the next movie we should go away somewhere 
you want to? Uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, um... Fuck it, why not? I mean, where? Wherever. Somewhere, somewhere nice, somewhere fun. Maybe it'll be a surprise. You said fuck it, remember? Girl, you all digmatized and I haven't even seen this dude. Oh shit, I totally forgot. Hold on. Sending you a picture of him. I mean, he looks cute, but I can barely even tell, you creep. Um, he's ridiculously cute. Like I'll um I'll text you once we get there and let you know everything, okay? Okay, fine. I'm I'm excited for you. It's a straight girl's fantasy come true, right? Right. <laughs> I love you. I love you more. Bye. Bye. And up next was Fresh. This one available on Disney Plus. It's probably worth saying that Crimes of the Future was an import on Blu-ray. So that's where I checked for that movie. I still don't think it got a limited run in the UK, but still not available uh, for the populace. Uh, this one is directed by Mimi Cave and is uh, written by Lauren Kahn, like I say, available on Disney Plus via uh, Foxlight or Searchlight or whatever it was, which was acquired by Disney, hence why it's appeared on Disney Plus. Very strange movie to be sitting down in the UK watching on Disney Plus, but that's by the by. Um, the movie stars Daisy Edgar-Jones, Sebastian Stan, Jojo T. Gibbs, Andrea Bang, Deo Okinawe, Charlotte Le Bon, Brett Deer, Aliana Maris, William Ballou, uh, Lachlan Quornby, and some other folks are in here. Um, synopsis for this one is Fresh follows Noah, played by Daisy Edgar Jones, who meets an alluring Steve, played by Sebastian Stan, at a grocery store and, given her frustration with dating apps, takes a chance and gives him her number. So I thought this was great. <laughs> like, um, surprisingly witty, surprisingly funny, very fucking dark, and I kind of knew what I was getting in for, but it plays with some like completely audacious elements that did make me smile. There are hints in this movie for sure of um, American Psycho. There's bits in here that remind me of Hannibal the TV show. There's bits in here that remind me of, I don't know, like just really surreal out there stylish horror, but done in a surprisingly fun and quirky way. Like there's a, there is a style to this that works very, very well. Now, I believe Mimi Cave, who directed this, hasn't really done much in the way of like full-on big-budget feature movies before this. So this was her kind of shot at the big time, so to speak. She'd done uh, like music videos and short films, and you would not know watching this. Like this is like directed supremely confidently. It's shot beautifully. Has a particular style that I really enjoy about it. There is a, a kind of fresh female voice behind this. Fresh being the pun. Yes, I used it. That I really enjoyed. I think the the dialogue is very witty and well paced. It's smart and and quick. And the Lauren can story and script I think are really 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 well done. The casting is borderline genius. Sebastian Stan, who most people will know as uh, the Winter Soldier from the fucking Marvel movies, is great here as a villain. Like, smarmy um, and just completely unhinged. Uh, Daisy Edgar-Jones is great as Noah. And Jojo T. Gibbs, who I don't think I've ever seen in anything before as a, a Noah's friend, Molly, is brilliant in this as well. It's fast-paced. It's not doing anything that you kind of haven't seen before, but it's doing it in a fun, quirky way, which I thought 
worked wonders. There's also a hint at something bigger in the background, which made me wonder, kind of almost a cabin in the woods esque reveal at the very end, which made me smile in a way where I was like, you're just fucking having fun now, crazy movie. Um, yeah, there isn't really much more I could say about this one. I really enjoyed it. I found it very, 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 very fun. And I kind of needed that. I'd been on a, a kind of bent of like very serious horror movies that I just needed something as a pick-me-up and fresh is great so if you have not seen it in the states it's on Hulu in the UK it's on Disney plus I also gave this one a four out of five so we're just rattling those fours out like sweeties at the moment um yeah let's move on to our next movie review hi kitty kitty hi come here kitty kitty come here it's okay don't run away come on it's okay I'm nice won't hurt you. Charlie? Charlie? He scratched me. Honey, he's in pain. You have to put him out of his misery, right? <laughs> didn't mean to. I know he didn't. I know. This is what it costs, though. Because it can't be a reaction like that. It's got to be a, a decision. That's the only way you can control it. You can do it. next and we knew that good time train was going to derail at some point this is Firestarter um, this is the remake the reimagining of uh, Stephen King's original source material and a remake of the what 1985 84 85 Firestarter starring a very young Drew Barrymore um, this one is a Blumhouse production so it's probably worth putting that out there and it's directed by Keith Thomas who did the vigil last year and the vigil was super fucking good that I was kind of excited about this movie when it was original I was excited to see what he could bring to it not the idea of a new Firestarter movie I'll put my cards on the table I think it's not a great story by Stephen King and I didn't really like the original movie um, the screenplay here is done by Scott Teams and like we said uh, Keith Thomas is the director it stars Zac Efron, Ryan Kira Armstrong, Sidney Lemon, Michael Grey Eyes, uh, Gloria Rubin uh, Kurtwood Smith, who's in this movie inexplicably, uh, John Bleas uh, Beasley, Tina Jung, Hannah Jonas, some other folks. Let's just continue on. Uh, synopsis for this one is a young girl tries to understand how she mysteriously gained the power to set things on fire with her mind. Um, uh, this isn't great. And it's, it's not because, like, if I showed my daughter this movie, she'd love it. Right, so if I showed my eight-year-old this movie, she would love it. This movie's clearly not aimed at an eight-year-old, but it weirdly would work for an eight-year-old. doesn't work for a 41-year-old man. Um, it's kind of clunkily written. It's stuff you've seen done a million times before. It kind of felt like a, like a movie-length drudge through a... Remember that TV show he Heroes, like Save the Cheerleader, Save the World? Um... It kind of felt like that, or, or, like, or like a really low-rent X-Men movie. Um, the acting is not great by our central female performer here, um, Ryan Kira Armstrong. She's not brilliant. Um, and Sidney Lemon, who's really good as the mother character, isn't in the movie long enough. And Zac Efron who is a good actor, is stumbling his way through this, like, like clearly did not know what he got stuck with. 
There is a series of faces that pop up of people you've seen before, like Michael Grey Eyes or Kurtwood Smith, who I fucking love. You know, I mean, this is Clarence Bodiger. Why he's in this movie is beyond me. I don't know, some weird casting here for sure. This movie plods. It's only an hour and a half, which I've been moaning all the other movies should have been. It felt like two hours. The CGI effects will not hold up in a couple of years. CGI fire isn't great at the best of times uh, for holding up. It definitely won't hold up longer term. And it just doesn't... This is just a movie which should be exciting that just lacks energy. It just kind of plods along at this really pedestrian pace with all its set pieces that feel tired and, and lacking ambition and enthusiasm. And then it got to the end of the movie and I could not give a fuck. Like, it genuinely just got to the end and just couldn't care anymore. It had, it had beaten the will to, to, to really enjoy anything in this movie out of me. Um, yeah, I'd seen a lot of negative reviews and it went on my list because I like to form my own opinion. Plus, I don't just want a list of movies that I just want to see. I want a list of movies which kind of represent what's come out in the year and this one played at cinemas I didn't go and see it in the cinema but it did have a cinema run and it's by one of the bigger horror studios out there um, but I didn't enjoy it I didn't like this movie didn't hate it like, hate's a very strong phrase for me to use and I don't use it lightly but I didn't like this movie it would get you 2 out of 5 for me um, yeah I didn't like it at all so that's all <laughs> I have to say about Firestarter. If you liked it, I'm glad someone did. I can't, I can't side with that. Let's move on to our final movie. This one uh, is going to give you a little clip and then we're going to talk about it right after this. Stay there! Stop! You, it's one thing, it's your body. I, I don't like it, but it is your body. But you do not, you do not infect this family with your idea. I'm not. You are! Do you think it's funny? You're laughing at me. Is this like some little game? It's not a fucking game, Betsy. It's a sickness. You're sick. I'm not sick. Okay, people do not just stop eating. Do you know what it's called? Hmm? It's anorexia. Do you know who gets it? Entitled middle-class white girls. I'm not anorexic. Oh, wait! Get on. Will you fucking get on the scale? We are weighing you. Twice a day. Betsy's. Wait. Okay, let's talk about A Banquet. This one here is available on Shudder. Uh, I should also mention that Firestarter is available um, on VOD. So I <laughs> I had a Retuken voucher, which I get through my fitness app, that as long as I hit my steps and do my workouts each week, I get a free rental from there. And that's how I'm very glad I did not spend any fucking money on that. Dear God, Almighty, could you fucking imagine? Um, this one is directed by, uh, we said her name before, A Banquet's directed by Ruth Paxton, British um, director and um, has done a series of shorts. This is a feature length debut available exclusively on Shudder. She is directed a ton of episodes for River City, which is weird. That's a kind of soap based in Scotland kind of soap opera things, very strange to see, um, very strange to see that up there for sure. Uh, this one here though is based on the screenplay by Justin Bull, it stars Sienna Gilroy, Jessica Alexandra, Ruby Stokes, Lindsay Duncan, Kane Zajaz, Richard Keep, Dika Walmsley, Rena Mahoney, 
and um, yeah, some other folk in bit roles here. Synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as a widowed mother is radically tested when her teenage daughter insists a supernatural experience has left her body in the service to a higher power. So, one watch. And I don't think I fully took in everything here. That being said though, um, when I posted this, a lot of people on the old Facebook group page was like, this is a Duncan movie. You're going to love this one. And I could see why you might think that. On a lot, In a lot of respects, it's got that indie, kind of almost cosmic sort of thing going on. It's very art house in a lot of respects. It doesn't really give you a satisfying ending or even really explain what its purpose is which I know for a lot of people can be frustrating for me it generally isn't a frustration I can tend to roll with movies like that as a kind of more an experience exercise than necessarily a narratively a narratively fulfilling exercise if that makes sense and this movie does a lot well it does do some things that drag it down for me though so I've got to be honest about that the stuff that it does well I think it's acted very well I think um, the kind of central performances of uh, Sienna Gilroy as Holly, Jessica Alexander as Betsy and Ruby Stokes as Isabel and Lindsay Duncan as June, this family unit um, operate at a really high level there's, a, there's hints to what might be going on under the surface in this dynamic that I think works really well and it's held throughout the movie even though it's this tense environment which is you know is it to do with anorexia is it to do with body shaming is it to do with a cosmic power is it to do with attention seeking what you know what is this to do with like issues that only and I think the movie actually says this in a line in here it's been a few days since I watched it about um anorexia being a vehicle and a tool for for kind of it's a privileged person's disease which it isn't it really really isn't but it is seen that way and it's probably suffered a lot more in that level um i don't know what the stats are i would be surprised if a lot of lower income families have as much issues proportionally with something like anorexia as more affluent people or industry people that have like actors, models, musicians, you know, on that level where you're actually forced to look a certain way. But the movie never really leans into that. It's just a vehicle for another message of do we believe our central character has been contacted in commune with a higher power? And if so, what is the purpose of this? It's how our family interacts with that. It ends in a particularly harrowing and also esoteric sort of way where once again the movie doesn't give you anything. So the journey up to that kind of felt a little bit frustrating but I do feel I pulled quite a lot of symbolism from it and I do have my own opinion about what the movie is trying to say. So at the end I wasn't left with I've just spent an hour and a half of my fucking life and this is all I got. It's, it's not like that. Um very 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 well shot like I see some of the conflict and attitudes are really uncomfortable to watch and there is a reveal in this that when it lands I was like oh right that's actually surprisingly clever and I really enjoy it although I would have felt the characters should have come to that conclusion earlier on in the movie where it kind of falls over for me is there are a little bit of pacing issues throughout this one a couple of times the movie really does slow down in a way which doesn't necessarily make sense. Also, the repetitive sound design use, almost an AMSR kind of grotesquery around food and eating sounds, which I know is in there for a particular reason. It's juxtaposed against what the character is, is ailed by, but I kind of felt like we were leaning back on that as an artistic element that didn't work for me all the time. Um, I also found the score a little bit ham-fisted, uh, no pun intended, but just a little bit. Sometimes it really it gelled with what I was seeing and in other times I felt there should be more of it when it wasn't there and then there was too much of it and bits that didn't make sense. So, like, those bits bring it down for me. Um, this is what I would definitely check out again, though, because, like, I say, I feel like I've got a handle on some of the ideas. I think on a second watch I'll be able to flesh out some of that 
a little bit more. As it stands just now though, on a first viewing, it played well. Um, I would give it a three and a half out of five. Didn't love it, and maybe didn't like it as much as some of you guys on the internet said I probably would. But I, you know, I didn't think it fall fall apart, and because it's on Shudder, you get a chance to read those reviews, and some of those reviews were fucking brutal for this movie, so I'm not on that level either. So three and a half out of five for a banquet. That was movie number thirteen. I'm going to take my final break of this episode when I come back and close the show, and I'm doing it right after this. <laughs> You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 404. This has been a recap of our 31 of October movies 7 through number 13 with reviews of what Josiah saw, Hellraiser, Crimes of the Future, Fresh, Firestarter and E-Banquet. On the next episode, we will be covering the next six movies, which are Mad God, Torn Hearts, Halloween Ends, although to be honest, I'll probably just give you my score because myself and Baz will be doing a deep dive on that one in an episode upcoming. Uh, We'll also be covering You Won't Be Alone, uh, Incantation and See For Me. That's the next six movies that we'll be doing on the next episode for you guys out there. There is a multitude of ways to check it podcasts under the stairs. Wherever you're listening, it's right now to subscribe. That we get the shows as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of Teapot's content. Do not stop there though. I want you to subscribe to our sister feed, the Teapot's Collective. Over there, you get shows like Where to Begin with, Opera Omnia, Doing the Nasty and Chronicle as well. Subscribing to both feeds is the best way to support what I do under the stairs. Alternatively, just go to our website, tpatscast.com. Links to all the shows are there. There's also another link to another show called Joss's Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts, a booze-based banter entertainment podcast featuring myself, The Baz, and Scott Liam from Scott Liam vs. The Evil with a new episode coming soon, I fucking promise. Yeah, Scott and Liam, Baz and myself, getting drunk for your entertainment. That's Joss's Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts, and it's exclusively available on tpatscast.com. If you're on Facebook and you want to interact with me there, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teaputzcast gets you the podcast under the stairs. Teaputz Collective has a Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash teaputzcast. And if you like your internet a wee bit weird, then the Jaws of Shite Facebook great page is for you. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash regrettable pod. For those that hate Facebook and want to interact with us on the Instas or the Twitters or twin prongs of social media sexiness, myself and the Baz curate that at teaputzcast for both. The podcast under the stairs will return for you tomorrow with the unknown year, a brand new sub-series with its second episode dropping from myself and Dave Parker, the phenomenally lush Dave Parker. Um, we'll explain our very convoluted rules, but has led us to reviewing The Seventh Curse. So until then, whatever you are, what the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off.